This is the Partnership for the Arts talk show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Science Fiction Studios in the Magic City. I am your host, Dave Bice. This show is brought to you by Partnership for the Arts Group. And we have got a special show for you today. We are going to be talking with author Scott Blazingame in just a few minutes. So hold on. We'll be right back after I get my cup of coffee. This is Partnership for the Arts podcast. Come join us as we explore the art worlds of science fiction. You can find us on our Facebook page at Sci-Fi Verse Group Podcast. Or you can find us on our website at pftatalkshow.org. Science Fiction Studios is recorded in the magic city of Birmingham, Alabama. Hey everybody, welcome back. I have my cup of coffee, so we are ready to go. And as promised, we are going to be speaking with Scott Blazingame, author of Warrior Suns series and many more, and we're going to cover all of that. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, David. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good to catch up with you again. It's been a while. We actually met in uh, Birmingham at the Magicot. Yes, yes. I was cruising the floor and I saw some of your book covers caught my attention. So we came over and started talking and uh, this is where we ended up being on the show. Yes, sir. And I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Now I am in Birmingham, Alabama. You're, you're North of me, correct? Just a little bit. I'm in Trustville. So I'm kind of on the Northeast edge of Birmingham. Oh, you're in Trustville. Okay. Okay. Closer than I thought. Closer than I thought. Okay, well, good. We're a stone's throw away from each other, so to speak. Oh, good deal. <laughs> okay, so Scott, let's talk a little bit about your books. How about you give us give us the name of the titles of the books that you've done from your first one to your latest one? Okay. Uh, the first book I wrote was The Warrior Sun, mm-hmm. and that deals with tribes of people that are only 12 inches tall, and they live in a forest, and so their tribes are kind of known by either the, the floor that they live underneath or some of the fauna. Okay, Scott, give us an example. Okay. Um, there's a hawk tribe because they ride hawks. There's a raccoon tribe. They ride raccoon. But it is very much uh, epic fantasy, uh, action adventure. It's got romance, humor. There's political intrigue and, and things such as that. The, the Warrior Sun actually is going to be a trilogy. I wrote the second book of that uh, called The Warrior Lost because the protagonist is really going through a personal sort of crisis at that time. So he's got a lot of physical, mental, spiritual growth that he has to do. The, The next book that I wrote, my superhero guy, The Night Dragon. And that has a lot of martial arts styled action to it and some Eastern mysticism. It's got a little more of a sci-fi bent to it because of uh, some of the technology that's also in- incorporated and and he's street level. So he's kind of like Batman or Daredevil or something like that. He, he mixes it up. Oh, awesome. 
uh, I wrote that story and wound up breaking it into two parts for the first two books. I had also written three other Night Dragon books in the in the course of that time. Fifth one is called The Black Viking because it has a, a character who is a, a African-American archaeologist who inherits the powers of the god Tyr. He was one of their war gods. And so that was pretty fun to write too. Uh, okay, so first was the Warrior series, then the Night Dragon series. So what, what's the next one? Then I wrote a story called The Sporting Death, which is about a couple of brothers who are in the showbiz industry. One of them's a rising action star, the other one's a stuntman. But one of them gets coerced into a live hunt by a band of mercenaries in the city, and it's broadcast live on the dark web for people to gamble on. And uh, it's got a very Cain and Abel sort of story arc to it. Oh, really? Interesting. Uh, then I dabbled in some horror. I wrote a book called The Act about a failed magician who makes a dark deal for success, and it, it really doesn't go his way. Um, would imagine not. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then I wrote a book called Wolf and Witch, which is uh, kind of a twist on the werewolf lore in that it, it's a wolf that's bitten and turns into a man. And so he's got to be housebroken to society, so to speak. Uh, and, and housebroken. That was, yes, <laughs> that was really fun. And then the last book I just completed and published is called Nocturnity P.I., it's uh, mm -hmm. it's my snarky private detective guy. He's a former semi-professional fighter. I just had a lot of fun with that and wound up writing a series of short stories for him. He's kind of like a clean version of Ryan Reynolds, I guess. You <laughs> uh, okay, well, <laughs> you have been a busy author. So, Scott, now that we've got an idea of, of the books you've written, which which is quite a bit, I want to back up for a little bit because I want to get a chance to talk about you and get to learn about you and a little bit of your history to start with. All right. Yes, sir. Have you always been a writer? I have not. I dabbled with it off and on, uh, especially in my twenties, but my problem was I, I had good ideas to start a story, to get into the story, but I never had a good way to wrap things up. So a lot of stories I started wound up just kind of falling by the wayside because I didn't know where they were going. And ultimately I didn't know what to do with them. And so I just, I just let them go. I've always been an avid reader. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. Your favorite author, the works that have influenced you. Probably my reading influences would be uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, who uh -huh who wrote the Tarzan novels and the John Carter of Mars novels uh, and uh, Robert E. Howard, who created Solomon Kane and Conan the Barbarian. Right, right. Got to say, big fans of those as well. And I actually, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, and I actually prefer Howard's horror stories to, to Lovecraft's. The, they, they run similar, but I don't know, Howard just appeals to me more. Any particular reason for that? Well, I think Lovecraft's take on things was that there was nothing scarier than the reader's imagination. And so he would 
purposefully leave certain things kind of vague. He would paint a picture, but he would leave certain elements kind of vague to let the reader fill in. Howard would do that too, but there are instances where Howard would get into a little detail. Mm -hmm. And I like that. You like detail. Yeah. Uh, I do. I'm a detail kind of guy. I grew up reading Zane Gray too. I love Zane Gray for a Western. He was, to me, he was one of the best writers as far as creating characters and especially dialogue. I really loved the way he did dialogue. So I I think that was influential on me also. Okay. Now, you said that you, you hadn't considered yourself always a writer, though obviously you've had ideas going on in your head for quite a while. I, I did. So, Scott, I'm sure the listeners are thinking the same thing I am, that I'm going to ask you. So what changed for you? Well, uh, my wife. <laughs> she, not, not that I changed wives. I've only had one. Uh, <laughs> And I had always been amassing story ideas and character ideas and things like that and jotting them down in notebooks or loose pieces of paper and keeping them in a file and stuff. But I had reached a point where uh, we were on our way to a wedding in 2009. And I told her, I said, I'm, I'm running out of writers that I like to read. I just can't find new writers that I really like who, who write the kind of story that I, I like. And she goes, well, then you write your book. She, she had been after, after me to do that. And she was like, then just write, write your book. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, Scott, that's cool. That's awesome. So question, how did you decide where you were going to start? Because obviously you had a mass amount of, of stories there. How did you decide on which one you're going to start with? So I thought about it. And I went through the notes that I had at the time Mm -hmm. and really the story elements and characters for the warrior son was the story that was the most fleshed out. And I thought, well, okay, then that's the one I need to do. Okay. So I sat down and tackled that. I gave myself a year to write it and I completed it in 11 months. Wow. So, well, that was uh, that was when uh, you know 2010 was kind of an economic crunch on everybody, mm-hmm. and I had started the book, started writing the book in July of '09. I got laid off at the end of March in 2010, and I thought, okay, I got a little bit of a severance, and I'm going to start drawing my unemployment, and I'm not going to seriously job hunt until I finish this book. Because if I start throwing all my energy into that, the book's going to get put on the back burner and then I won't come back to it. And so I really, really went to work on it mm-hmm. in, in that time and got it completed. So first draft was done. I beat myself in those deadline. Wow, Scott, I have to say that's, that's incredible. I mean, that's a dedication and courageous. And, you know... Things worked out, obviously, the way they're supposed to. But to say, I'm just not going to work, I have this money, I'm going to spend it, and I'm going to get it done in this time, and then you beat your own, you beat your own imposed deadline. That's, that's great. I mean, that's inspiring. Appreciate that. Okay, so Scott, you've written the book. What about publishing? 
Did you have any previous experience? Anyone to help you along the way? No, that was that was a massive learning curve. Did you look at publishing before that? No. So when I had stopped in my 20s from writing stories, I continued to write poetry. I just needed some sort of outlet. So I would I would write poetry and I did that for years and that was all personal for me. Uh, I would find notices to submit for poetry anthologies. Mm -hmm. uh, those those were always, it seemed like a, a vanity press gimmick. In what way? You can buy X number of anthologies for so much and give them to your friends or sell them yourself or stuff <laughs> like that. And I was like, nah. Okay, so take us through the steps. What did you do to get published? So initially, with the Warrior Sun, after it went through a few rounds of edits, I wrote query letters to some publishers and I targeted sci-fi fantasy publishers specifically. Mm -hmm. I sent out about seven all together, I guess, at the time. And I think I got four rejections and three no responses whatsoever. Uh, my sister was, uh, she worked for Jefferson County in their school system. She was in charge of ordering their books and stuff. She knew some, some book reps and she had spoken to some of them and they were like, really, the thing that Scott ought to do is he ought to look into self-publishing on Amazon. I was like, well, OK, uh, because really that kind of gives you as the writer creative control as far as your content and stuff. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I've, I've heard stories from people where the publisher wants them to change names or change events, change places, stuff like that. And right. I wasn't down for all that. So I did the self-publishing thing and, and getting that done, that was, that was a huge learning curve. Now, based on that, each book has always been successively easier to publish because I figured out the formats that they wanted that I was going to be working with then. And so I can get all my I's dotted, my T's crossed ahead of time now and and not have to jump through all those hoops. But man, initially, that was a book. Was it difficult? Because, and I again, I, I haven't published through Amazon, so I don't know the process for that. Is it you submit it and then editing comes back to you? How does that work? No, at the, so at the time that I published through Amazon, they had already been in, in the self-publishing game for a little bit. You could go on the site, and so they already had, I guess, like guidelines for you mm -hmm. to go by. And you just needed to go through there and look at those. Okay, so you got that part figured out. Were there any other hurdles uh, that you had issues with? My biggest issue was when I was trying to get the cover published for the paperback. Because of all the parameters that you have to meet and then making sure that your text margins will fit the number of pages of the size book that you have and all. Right. Because more of the pages, the thicker the book, the thicker the spine and the adjustment for the margins. Mm -hmm. Yes. You just have to take the time to read it and understand and then get those things in order to, to begin with. So I didn't have too many booby traps that went off on me, but the <laughs> ones that did were, they were frustrating, but Big enough. Yeah. Okay, so I've got a question for you, Scott. You finished Warrior Sun, your first uh, book, but I noticed that you have a series of those. 
was that because you had so much material? I've done two. It, initially, it was meant to be a standalone. When I finished it, I had I had story aspects left over that I'd never gotten to. Here, here's the thing, David. I I did not realize that I was going to be writing a, a book that was almost 700 pages long as a first novel. Yeah, that's a lot of pages. I mean, who does that? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> me. So... And I still had aspects left over and the story wasn't done. And I thought immediately, well, this is going to have to be a trilogy. And the trilogy's done. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, that will probably be my magnum opus. I, I don't know that I'll ever write anything on this scale again. I don't know that I'll want to. <laughs> okay, so the trilogy is done. The Master Warrior, the third of the trilogy, uh, came out. I think you told me... November of last year, correct? Yes. Okay, so Scott, I'm going to ask you to hold on for a second. We're going to go take a break, and when we come back, I'll have my coffee refill, and we'll get into your other books. We definitely want to go into the creative process you go through. So, okay. can you hold on? Absolutely. Okay, everyone, hold on. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Thomas Moran, owner of Fate Comics Publishing, and we listen to Science Fiction Studios. Okay, everyone, we are back. I've got my coffee refill, and we want to make sure that we do thank Thomas Moran, owner of Fate Comics, that's F-A-T-E, Comics Publishing Company, for that spot. In fact, you can listen to the interview we did with them. We did that last time we were here in the studio. In fact, a quick little tidbit, we have actually recently partnered with him to do some incredible things there with Fate Comics. So make sure you check that out. And we are sitting here talking with author Scott Blazingame. And Scott, before the break, we were discussing your third book in your Warriors trilogy. But I wanted to bring up something we were talking about here during break, particularly Night Dragon. You've got five of those. So give us some insight on this series. Absolutely. The first two were written as a complete story, and I halved them. But I started that about two years or so after completing The Warrior Sun. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I would I would edit the Warrior Sun, but at the same time I was like, well, I still got the writing bug and I want to write. And so that the character of the Night Dragon, my my vigilante guy, he was probably my second most fleshed out idea. And so I decided there to you go dive into that. And uh, it really it really worked out uh, pretty neat. I had at the time probably about four or five different storylines for him i picked the one that i liked the most while i was writing it i like to sow the seeds for the next book in there kind of give a little hint nothing uh nothing blatant i try mm. to be a little obtuse about it and so that gave me the idea when i did the third and the fourth which those were written as one book and i thought i'm gonna have to half those two did you hit uh, the 700 mark page again <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
pretty close. <laughs> those those tend to run about maybe 400 pages. And I thought, you know, a 200 wow. page, that's a good read. That's a perfect read. I need to keep it around that. I debated initially whether where I was going to set that character. At first, I thought about setting him in the southeast. And I was going to make up a fictional town here in Alabama and stuff. And then I was like, that's really not going to work. So I decided to go West Coast, and I based him in a fictional city called Nocturnity in uh, California, Northern California. And that actually turned out to be a boon for me because that has become my little playground. So I don't just do the Night Dragon stories there. I've set other stories there as well okay so your other the other lines are all operating in that world so to speak they are and uh it's neat because then i can in each in each one of those i can give like little hints to the other books again nothing overt but i can just kind of tie things together and create my own little universe in in that city so to speak right right you have characters end up eating at the same restaurant. <laughs> I do sometimes, and I have okay. And I have some overlap with the characters and stuff too that kind of help tie things. Oh, that's pretty cool. You you kind of created your own little world universe for your books, right? And uh, that it wasn't the goal setting out. It just kind of worked out that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the story spoke to you, right? I'm glad that it did. Okay, so how about? A, a quick overview of those five books. Uh, is it always, or is it the same character through the five or is it uh, developing it is, other characters? Uh, no, I'm, I bring in other characters. It's mainly uh, the main character's name is Johnny Chen. He's the night dragon. He's, he's vigilante. He's got two brothers, uh, martial arts brothers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Dow. And, and Lee, they run a martial arts school uh, on the outskirts of Chinatown there in that city. And so by day, he's an instructor. And by night, he's going out and dealing with organized crime and gangs and stuff like that. But he also has certain mystical abilities. I like to, I like to keep the action grounded for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I've also had him invested with the ability to move through the shadows. The shadows are almost like pools for him or dimensional doorways. And he can get from one place in the city to another or just or make quick escapes. Because he's a vigilante, there's a police task force that's after him. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's he's got that. He's, he's fighting on the side of law, and yet he's also an outlaw because he's violating the law in that sense i thought it was a neat dichotomy to bring in a, a love interest who is actually part of that task force so she doesn't know who he is and she has become a student there at the school also oh, so wow. <laughs> there, I, I have fun with that and look i don't like a quick romance i like to kind of draw things out mm-hmm. there's a lot of humor and interplay uh with that but so with each of the stories you can't have a good hero unless you have a good villain as a counterpart 
So I had, for the first couple of books, it was the, uh, it was Die, the Deadly International Trio. They were into corporate espionage and things and assassination. They come to Nocturnity for a purpose of stealing some military tech. And the Night Dragon encounters them and has to, has to deal with them. Wow, okay. That's a lot going on. And that's just the introduction of the first two. Quite intriguing, Scott. So I'm assuming as any good adventure series goes, book three and four escalates the <laughs> the challenges for him? Yes. Books three and four, there is a international terrorist group called the Horde that he also has to contend with over the course of those, particularly one of their lead henchmen, a guy named O Mortifero. And that's Portuguese for the deadly one. Okay. And so he has to deal with him. Part of the reason being is that they are, they're fooling around with a local genetic company that is splicing animal and human DNA and creating these miniature monster versions, so to speak. And so I've got this neat character named Simeon, who is in fact Simeon. He's part human, he's part Simeon. And then lastly, the uh, fifth book is called The Black Viking. And I think I mentioned before, this was about a uh, African-American ar archeologist who comes across some ancient Nordic emblems and he is invested with this power of the god Tur, who was one of the uh, war gods mm -hmm. of yeah. Nordic lore. It's it's actually thought, I, when I was doing research into that, it's actually thought that initially he may have been the lead god in the Nordic pantheon, because the Nordic people really didn't have a, a written history or written lore. A lot of that was always passed down verbally. Hmm, okay, I didn't know that. And so over the course of time, it got changed out and Odin supplanted him as the chief god in, in the Nordic pantheon. Kind of interesting. Hmm. But uh, he, he is uh, he's viewed as the war god in Nordic myth. And so that was, that was fun. I was like, I can have a big, huge black guy that's a Viking. You, you don't see that every day. That was a fun dynamic. But I do... Uh, just about all of my stories, I like the action-adventure sense. I write a lot of stylistic martial arts action. Yes. I've always enjoyed that. I grew up on that. Part of the reason what prompted me to write my own stories is writing a fight scene is very hard to do. Mm -hmm. And there are people that write fight scenes to me that just did not make any sense. Right. Now, you study Kung Fu, correct? I studied Northern Shaolin Kung Fu for almost 10 years. Yeah, wow. And positioning in combat and things such as that, uh, that's important to me for me to kind of wrap my head around things when, when I'm reading it. Now, there's a lot of people that don't, that don't like that. They like a very kind of broad stroke description of, of a fight scene, and that's fine. Uh, I'm a more detailed guy. Uh, I was kind of surprised because initially with my first few books, I had a lot of people telling me, Scott, you need to dial that back. You're going to lose people in that. You're almost getting too technical. And I was like, yeah, but honestly, if other people read them fine, if not, I'm really writing these for me. 
Right. It is a unique way of writing. No doubt about that. What has been the response? I mean, obviously, you, you have a strong following, a, a readership. Stan, I've had a lot of people come up to me and express how much they enjoy the fight scenes, that it's almost like watching a movie in their head. So I'm like, well, cool beans. <laughs> cool beans. Okay, well, that's kind of a segue to the next question. Uh, Scott, you go to conventions, you go to a lot of these these book shows, Comic-Cons, and you have people that come up, your fans, your readers come up and have discussions with you about the book, and as well as new ones. Uh, how does that make you feel? Have you gotten used to that yet? I don't. Um, that, that's weird to me. <laughs> so I'm not really a people person. So the answer is no. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> okay, there you go. At least you're honest. <laughs> I can be if I have to be. My wife is always, she's the one that pushed me in to start doing cons. So all your excess is her fault. <laughs> <laughs> and I had gone to one or two, some, some low-scale cons with her, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. These, these are my people. Uh, they might be interested in my stuff. So... I started doing some of the smaller ones and then I started doing some of the bigger ones. And my wife is always getting on me and she's like, don't just sit there and be dour. You need to smile. And I'm like, I feel like an idiot just smiling at people when they walk by. Uh, I try, I try to gauge body language. You can kind of tell when people might be interested mm -hmm. in your stuff or, or when it catches, catches their attention. Yeah. Uh, there's other people that just, Give a wide berth, yeah, uh, and and you're like, is it my breath? Um, okay, so now I, I'm going to say, Scott, you've been doing this a while now. <laughs> All kidding aside, you learn how to deal with it, at least some extent. I'm, I've changed my tactic over the years. It used to be they'll be like, tell me about your books. Well, then I feel like I use car salesman, <laughs> and I have to I, I have to give a synopsis of ten books in like ninety seconds. <laughs> And now I'm, I've gotten to where when they, when they ask me to do that, I'll ask them, well, what's your poison? What do you like to read? And I'll start with that and we'll, and we'll discuss that. Right. And, and I have to say, you know, when I did walk up to your table and, and uh, you had some other people at the table at the time, so I, I kind of waited for you finish up with them. And I think they had bought a couple of books. I, I came over to you and that's exactly what you asked me. I said, well, what do you got? And you said, well, what? What do you prefer? I've got this, this, or this. And that's how our conversation started. And I got to say, that worked really good because uh, we did have an engaging conversation there at the time. And I, I thought you did great. Well, you sold thanks. me on a book. <laughs> <laughs> Fine-tuning the process. Yeah. But I, I've gotten better about it. I, I like doing it. I like people watching. Mm -hmm. So it's a great experience for that. But the, the interaction, th that can be tricky sometimes. Uh, people will come up and ask. I can go through my spiel, and they're just like, well, okay, thanks. And mm -hmm. they'll walk off. Or they'll be like, you wrote a lot of books. And I'm like, thank you. And they walk off. Mm -hmm. One of the funniest things, I'll tell you this real quick, that ever happened. Okay, good. I was going to ask you that question anyway. <laughs> was, was my first year up at Huntsville. Huntsville, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Rocket yes, City. Mm-hmm. I had, I'd done okay the second day of the con. I'd done okay sale-wise, but there were some guys that came walking by 
And one of them just kind of stopped and lagged back and he fanned his friend over. And he's like, tell me about your books. I'm like, okay. So I do the 90 second spiel in, in one breath. And he's like, wow, that's really neat. And, and he and his buddy are talking back and forth. And he's like, okay, I'll take them. And I was like, okay, which ones? And he goes, all of them. And I was like, what? <laughs> well, good. And he goes, yeah, I want, I want all the night dragons. And I want both of the warrior sons. I was like, are you for real? And he goes, yeah, I want him. He goes, I'm a bibliophile. Okay. I was just kind of blown away by that. Well, that's a good story, and it has a happy ending. <laughs> and Well, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know you have a blog out there that you do, and I've been following it actually since... You go into a lot of stories at, at the cons and everything else, and, and they're, they're quite entertaining. I, I know you were talking about one lady that came up that wanted to buy your book and wanted to pay for it a certain way, and you didn't have the, uh, you didn't have the method for her to pay for the book. And she went across the aisle and bought one that took the method, and then you went and got the, uh, you went and got the app so you could do it, and she never came back around. <laughs> she never came back, and nobody else ever asked me to use that form of payment. I was like, oh, okay. So there you go. Now you're set for the next one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott, I, I want to ask you, your book writing, when you put it together, now I understand that with Warrior Side, you've worked on it for a while. You had a lot of material, and you had mentioned that you had been writing a lot of material the whole time. What kind of style did you adapt afterwards to put these together? What What's changed for you through the process? Or has it? Um, I don't know that a whole lot has changed uh, as far as the, the actual writing goes. One thing, when, when I set out to write The Warrior Son, because it had been years since I had attempted writing another story. Mm -hmm. And so I, I knew what my major problem had been. And that was the fact that I could get the story going and I could get into it, but I didn't know where it was going or how it was ending. So when I started off with the warrior son, I already had an idea of how it was going to start and how it was going to end. I had the beginning and the ending in my head. I had things that I wanted to happen along the way. So it was a matter of orchestrating that. I guess in the self-publishing world with writers, there's, there's typically two times you have plotters and you have pantsers. Pantsers are those who kind of, I guess you could say, right by the seat of their pants. They get a good idea. Mm -hmm. They start off on it. They get into it and kind of feel their way toward the story's end. Uh, plotters are people that plot things out, that outline. And that's me. I, I found that that works better for me. It gives me an end goal knowing that I'm starting here and I'm trying to reach this final point where this happens and everything needs to lead to that end, to lead to that, that buildup and finale. So the one thing in regards to that is that usually pertains to the main storyline, the main plot line. But you're not going to have a good story without subplots. Mm -hmm. subplots I give myself some elbow room I don't necessarily map those out some of those happen over the course of writing 
sometimes they're beneficial, sometimes they're not. And here's the thing that I, I find on a lot of writing pages, writing groups that I in that I see a lot of people complain about. And I, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody else's process, but this seems to be typical with writers that are pantsers who start a story and just kind of feel their way through it is they don't know where it's going. Mm -hmm. uh, they let their characters dictate what's happening. And then a lot of times they'll find themselves with a subplot that begins to override or outshine their, their main storyline. Mm -hmm. And so those subplots are fun, but those are dogs that have to be kept on a really short leash. <laughs> you know, because they'll right. they'll get away they'll get away from you quick, and and I've had issues with that from time to time where I felt like okay, this is becoming more than it needs to be, and I need to dial this back. Okay, so what do you do at that moment? What what's your thought process to get you back on track? I have never been one to think, well, my characters dictate to me what they're going to say or what they're going to do or things like that. Man, I I'm the writer. They are the character. They they are my creation because that is for the purpose of the story. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what that needs to serve. I, I realize not everybody that that's not the regimen for for a lot of people, but it works for me. And uh, it's uh, I, I like to think that it helps keep my stories tighter and mm -hmm. I, it helps me to actually finish them instead of instead of starting one and going, well, I'll put this one on the back burner because I'm not sure what to do with that. And I'm going to start this one. I, I will tell you another practice that I have. I, I take a story from beginning to completion. I will not work on two different stories at the same time. I just, I can't do that. I think I'm, I think that's a trap and that I'm setting myself up for failure because I'm afraid I'm going to wind up with two incomplete stories. Right. You got too many irons in the fire, so to speak. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, I understand what you're saying because you want the story to speak to you in some way to, to help you figure out some things that maybe you haven't worked out, but your characters, obviously you work out your characters and you know, your characters well enough and you know what parameter they're going to stay in and what they're going to work in to move the story along to, to get to where you want to get to the ending. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know some authors that I, I have, had conversations with over dinner or coffee or on the show. Some of them have the, the opposite approach that you mentioned. They let the story speak to them and then they take it wherever they're going. And then they, they work those details out and that works good for them. So it's, it's interesting to, to have the fact that you work your characters out so well that you know them, that you know when you're stepping out of character for what you're writing. Right. I've known some people that will, even to a degree, if they plot things out and they know the beginning and the end, they will write the beginning and the end and then start going in and filling in things in between. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even in kind of like a hopscotch manner, mm -hmm. like, well, I'm going to do this in the middle and then I'm going to jump back. This is between the middle and the beginning. And then I'll do this part between the middle and the end. And now I've got to go back to, I can't, I can't do that. Even though I know how the story is meant to end, I mm -hmm. don't write the ending until I've written up to the ending. <laughs> no tapping the fingers got oh sorry <laughs> my bad <laughs> yeah okay well 
that's interesting. I, I don't think I have, I have ever talked with an author that can say, I start in chapter one and I work my way through to chapter five and, and I stick to that path. I know I can't do that. I have too many things coming in my head, especially when I'm first developing the story and the characters, uh, like I did with, with, with my graphic novels. So that's interesting. That, that's, I got to say, again, is a, an incredible discipline on your part there, Scott, to be able to set your deadline, self-imposed deadline, and even beat it, and that you can stick with your ideas, your plots, your stories, and get to know them so well that by the time you actually get going through that book, it's already set in stone, so to speak. It works for me. I'll, I'll say that. I don't know that it would necessarily work for everybody. But, uh... Right, right. Everybody has different writing skills. But, you know, as I, I mentioned to you during break, it's always interesting to hear the, the author's way of doing things because aspiring authors will listen to a show and maybe that method doesn't ring true with them and others will. But obviously this method works well for you. I I don't know if I could apply that kind of <laughs> discipline to, to my way of it, but I like it. And obviously it, it works quite well for you being able to write that massive of books with those short deadlines. That's, uh, that's impressive. Oh, I appreciate that. It's, uh, you know, and, and the deadlines, the deadlines I think are kind of key for me uh, with the, with the second book, and the Warrior Son trilogy, The Warrior Lost, I want to say I had given myself a year to do that one also. It wound up taking me 16 months, mm -hmm. which was which was fine because I was, uh, there were a lot of aspects I was having to juggle with that and, and kind of feel my way through, even though I plotted a lot of it out. But then uh, with some of the others, I'm like, okay, I'll give myself five to six months. I mean, I'm, I'm not stringent about the deadline, mm -hmm. but I do, I do set one because I want to, I want to have a, a target for it because I think that that helps me. You worked this out early. You, uh, you knew it worked for you and you stuck with it. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Once I, once I got through the warrior son, I was like, okay, that's, that's kind of the format I need to go about doing this again. What's next for you? I am. I've been waffling. I need to write the the next Night Dragon, and I've got a couple of ideas for it. I need to write the second Wolf and Witch, and I've got an idea that I'm fleshing out for that. Honestly, what I think I'm about to do is write another collection of the Nocturnity PI stories. Okay. Because I've got some ideas for those. And honestly, since they're short stories, I can I can usually write those in about a week or two. Wow. Okay. So uh, I think there was one story that took me three weeks. But for the most part, they averaged about 10 to 14 days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I could sit and, and write and get those. And they're short stories. So sure. Those are just fun to write, that character <laughs> for me. Okay, so that brings me to the next question. You have so many different titles out there. How do you work out the schedule for the next release and the scheduled release dates? Time <laughs> since the last book? I don't know. It's it's starting to become a problem because initially <laughs> it was just 
it was the warrior sun stuff and it was the night dragon stuff and i could just alternate and i was like that works out great and then did this and then i did the wolf and witch and i decided you know this would be an interesting series so i'm going to make a series out of that and then the the nocturnity pi thing that was really just a fluke when that happened okay explain that how did that happen so i'm in a writer's email group with some guys and at one point the idea had come up about why don't we all write a couple of stories and kick them in and we'll make our own anthology and put it out for free just to kind of market ourselves to get people familiar with us. And I think we were all like, Hey, that's a good idea. And then we never did anything about it. <laughs> and, then during, and then during the pandemic, that idea came up again. And so we were like, okay, let's do that. So I, I developed the, the Parker Cassidy character for a short story for that. And I had such fun with it that, when I finished writing the third Warrior Sun book back last December, I was like, okay, I need to take a break from this story. I'm going to take a month off before I start editing it because I'm going to need fresh eyes. But in the meantime, I need to do something. I'm going to write another Parker short story. So I did. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of fun. And I've got an idea for another one. So I wrote that one. Mm -hmm. And then in between editing, I would steal time to write. I was like, I'm just going to keep kind of writing with this guy. He's just fun. And next thing I knew, I had a bunch of stories. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to publish these as a collection. So that was kind of fluky. Right. But, okay. All right. But you got it done and you got it out there in between the, the next one. So do you actually have your set? What's going to be the, the next book release or the one you're going to be working on the next story? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start with the, another set of the Parker story. So I've got nine of those, I think. I've got uh, rough synopsises for that I'm going to start working on. Okay. And I'll hop on the writing. And I'm, I'm over halfway through it right now. So. Right, right. Okay, so you're going you're gonna to be working on the next uh, PI series. Is that right, the one? Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're going to be doing that. All right. It sounds like you still got a lot of backlog of other <laughs> books and titles to go with Wolf and Mitch. And do you feel that with the, the amount of level of writing you've got, it's going to be carrying you well into 2023, 2024? I think so. I've got, I don't, I don't mean to sound pretentious or anything. I don't see myself suffering from writer's block as far as story ideas anytime soon because yeah. I've still got a slew of stories for the Night Dragon character. Mm -hmm. That's meant to be an ongoing series. Okay, so, so it's going to continue on. Okay. Yeah, I've got ideas for that. I've got ideas for a couple of the Wolf and Witch. At some point, I am going to do a novel with the uh, Nocturnity PI character. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and I'm kind of working on the bones of that. Uh, so there's, I think I've got an idea for another horror story I want to do. I want to write a Western at some point. So I'm kicking around some ideas for that. And, Interesting. and here, here's my thing as a piece of advice to other writers. When, when you get a story idea, document it somewhere. I mean, write it down, write it in your phone, make a computer file. 
don't just think that you'll remember it. Right. Because you won't. Right. You'll, you'll forget. Yeah. I'm speaking from experience as well. I had a beautiful thought that just woke me up in the middle of the night and I didn't write it down. And I get up hours later and I go, I knew it was something about this, but now I don't remember it. It was brilliant at the moment. Yeah. So I keep a tablet right next to the bed so that when I wake up, I could scribble, I could scribble it down. But usually if I, if something like that strikes me, I get up and I go into the studio and I start working on it right then and there enough to where it's cohesive enough that I'll understand and be able to pick it up later. So good advice there, Scott. Anything else that uh, you would want to pass on to anyone that might be an inspiring writer? Yeah, let me, uh, I know a lot of times people feel like they're not accomplishing anything with their story if they don't actually get words down on a page. I don't believe that's the case. Spend time with it. A lot of times what I'll do is sometimes in the morning, I get up early enough before I go to work is I may just read through what I wrote the day before just to kind of let it sit and gel. I may do some editing. If nothing else, I may just sit there and think about, well, I wrote this. This is what's happening. Here's what's going to happen. Just kind of need to sit there and spend time with it even though you may not actually get anything written down then when you come back to actually do some writing it'll be a little bit easier or you'll kind of know what what you intend to do here's the flip side of that if you just feel absolutely stuck from what writer's block that you you can't write anything make yourself write something and it kind of begins to uh, put little cracks in the dam that will allow your creativity. I mean, sometimes you just have to make yourself do something. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. So I got you. I follow you. You've got the writer's block. Sit down, start writing. It puts cracks in the dam to everything. The creativity starts flowing, huh? <laughs> right. Good but I'm also, I'm also saying if you don't write, if you just spend time with your story, reading over what you've written and thinking mm -hmm. about it, that's, that's still progress. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a group of uh, beta fans or people that they can bounce ideas off of that helps you get through the story? Is it, is that happen to be the wife, the cat? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I pretty much have things fairly consolidated uh, in my mind from when I'm working on a story as far as how things mm -hmm. uh, uh, play out. Um, I don't know that I really bounce a lot of ideas off people because I kind of know what I want to do, what I want. Okay. To okay. Uh, I have done that, I guess, with some of the short stories mm -hmm. that, that I've written. I've, I've leaned more that way. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I had to ask that question because I, I know others uh, have them. I, I do myself. I have uh, some very close ones that, that have known the projects from the very beginning that I rely on when I, I got stuck. I start talking things out with them and then, you know, it'll come to me. So uh, right. it kind of works that way or they got an idea and they throw it back in and then I, I look at incorporating it. Okay. Awesome. And okay. that is a good thing to do. Uh, you know, iron sharpens iron. So there that, you go. That is a good thing to do. There you go. All right. All right. So, Scott, anything else you'd like to uh, talk about? I, I know we want to get your contact information. Anything else? 
You know, I, th- I think you, I think you made me talk myself out. <laughs> now you got to get back to editing. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, I appreciate the time <laughs> and dragging you away from your editing and everything else. Cause I know you don't like to talk about yourself, but uh, the, the aspects of, of, um, Nobody will believe stuff. you after hearing this interview. Do what? I said, no one will believe you that I don't like talking about myself. <laughs> well, uh, that's my job to, to getting you to come out and talk about yourself because you've got an interesting story. You definitely have an interesting way of, of getting your accomplishments to your deadlines done. That's, again, my hat's off to you. Contact information. You have a website? I do. It's uh, Nocturnity Bookstore. Nocturnitybookstore.com. Okay, you are on yes. Facebook? Yes, I am a Scott Blassingame dash author okay. on, on Facebook. Okay, anywhere else? That That's it. I am, that's another thing I have people get on to me about is I need to work on my social media presence and uh, Facebook's about all I can handle, dude. <laughs> yeah, you got, a, you, got, you got a few other things going on there. You've got a lot of stuff to cover. Okay, well, the good news is, Scott, uh, when, when the show comes out, we'll have all those links there, and uh, it goes through all of our pages and all of our social medias. The PFTA's got, got a lot of a lot of them there. That section, we'll cover that section for you. How about that? We'll cool, cover the that social for you. Okay, Scott, I thank you for the time. Uh, it's been an enjoyable interview. It really is. I, I love your style of the way you're able to handle things. The, the discipline is just, it's extraordinary. I, I i may have to get with you and learn a few other trades and tricks along the way. <laughs> <laughs> but you're close by, so we might actually have to get together and get a cup of coffee. Um, I'd be down for that, yeah. Yep, good, good. Okay, so I, I've learned a lot. Well, right back at you, Dave, and uh, I'm going to be honest. This is, a, this is the first podcast I've ever done, and this has been oh. a great experience for me, so... I appreciate that. Well, You're an excellent interviewer. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, I didn't know that this was the first one, but that's good because now, no doubt, as you go through this, you'll get more people asking you to uh, to do it. And I'm, I'm honored that we were actually the first one. Me too. All right. Well, Scott, thank you for coming on the show. Listeners, thank you for joining us here at the Sci-Fi Verse in the Science Fiction Studios in the Magic City of Birmingham. And we will be talking soon. In the meantime, stay (laughs) sci-fi. Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 